welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. It's been a while since you've probably heard this podcast. I was off on a bit of a hiatus because those of you who follow me know I have a lot of things on the go and uh, the production schedule just got away from me. But I'm happy to say that I'm looking to pick that up now and hope to be back on a regular schedule weekly starting with today's episode. So sorry for the for the pause, but we'll, uh, we'll come back. So today's guest is Anna Malajavaya, tax lawyer and founder of Avotax Law Professional Corporation. And Anna is an expert in dealing with problems involving audits. And that's why I basically brought her on today was to talk about what it means to go through an audit and what the reality of it is. And with that, here's my interview with Anna. Anna, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you for having me, Jason. So Anna Malajavaya, I nailed the name. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what it is you do. I help people who have any kind of problems with the CRA. Um, I help people when things are not going really well, meaning that the CRA is knocking at their door and uh, they don't agree with what the CRA is saying. So they have to dispute the CRA's decision. So in that case, we make submissions to the auditors. We make submissions to CRA appeals. Sometimes we have to go to court. We have to go to Tax Court of Canada or we have to go to Federal Court of Appeal. So we have people when when things are not going really well for them on the tax side. We also help people when things are going well for them, meaning they're making lots of money. Then they're looking for ways to optimize their tax situation or their corporate structure to make sure that they pay just enough money in tax, whatever they have to pay, but they don't pay any extra, anything extra. So we're looking for ways to save money in tax for people. So either you're going through good days or are you going through bad days tax-wise? We're here to help. Excellent. So audit, a word that invokes fear in the hearts of countless people. And let's just be clear about this. The reality is audit does not mean you did something wrong. It means that there's some sort of communication between yourself and CRA where they're not seeing something or not getting something or not buying something, one or the other. And there's you come to, hopefully you don't come to too much of an impasse, but basically it's, this is not to say anyone did anything wrong. And that's where I'm going with it. So let's talk first and foremost about the basics of audit. How do people get selected for audits? Well, you're absolutely right here. Bad audits happen to good people. We see it every day in our office. Unfortunately, you don't need to be doing something wrong to be a selected for an audit or if we audit to go off really bad. So these things happen to the best of us. That's why uh, there are tax professionals who can help you uh, go through it. How you get selected in the modern world, we see uh, the trend of people being selected for an audit through very sophisticated and data analysis. We see it more and more before, you know, we saw people who were selected uh, for an audit because, you know, because there would be something specific to that person's situation that would uh, be highlighted during a random review. We saw more random audits. 
back in the days, in the old days. Now, pretty much every audit I have, I see in my office, I can almost categorize to an audit project that I know is now underway within the uh, CRA, and it's either a real estate related uh, project or crypto project or cash uh, heavy industries projects. I can pretty much guess which project this audit got uh, originated from. So a lot of it is is very is actually sophisticated. It's becoming very effective. It's impressive. The CRA is re- has really they have really up their game in the last maybe three or four years. They got a lot of money for it, and we see that money uh, working now. I'm glad you brought that up because first and foremost, I mean, it, it's funny just the level of disdain and contempt some people have for a nation's tax authority and thinking that they're not very smart people. And so, and my response is always like, okay, they're not smart, but you're trying to pull something that basically involves a paper trail, including crypto, which by the way, does is by its nature, a paper trail in itself. And you think that they're just never going to figure it out and that they haven't seen every trick that people have ever tried to pull. Like this is, they've seen everything. Like they've literally seen stuff that people couldn't dream of. So, so the average person thinking they're going to pull a fast one is is just such foolishness. So yeah, so these projects though, let's go back to this concept of this project. I mean, to some people that may sound like, oh, they're targeting people with X, Y, and Z. Well, if they're targeting people with X, Y, and Z, it's typically because they know there's a systematic problem where this was being underreported before. Is that not the case? I think so. Especially, I'll, I'll give you an example of the most uh, frequently used real estate projects in uh a greater Toronto area and in Vancouver area, the CRA published their statistics on how uh, profitable these projects were and how and and there are specific numbers of what they thought of the money they thought the uh, government lost in tax revenues, but not by not implementing those projects sooner. Those are like, I want to say billions, maybe I shouldn't exaggerate, but definitely Probably not. <laughs> millions of dollars that in unpaid taxes that we uh, did not get as, uh, as a society. So definitely these projects are well uh, organized, well thought through. But if you ask me, other, uh, is it, does it ever happen that totally innocent people get caught in these projects just because they look like like they've done something wrong? And the answer is absolutely yes, unfortunately, because it's all data analysis and, and computers don't, don't know you, don't know that you're a good, honest person. Uh, computers may pick you for an audit and you will be caught and you will have to go through this not very pleasant exercise together with people who actually did something wrong. So unfortunately, that's the way the system works right now. Yeah, you can't you can't cast a net without getting some of the wrong type of fish. Like that's just going to happen, right? So tuna and dolphins. What can I say? Okay, so let's talk about best practices for surviving an audit. Someone basically gets actually. Let's go through the process. So someone will typically get a request for information or a reassessment, right? Saying, "Hey, prove X." Right. Is that usually the first step they typically end up seeing? Typically, you would get that brown envelope that nobody likes to receive in their mailbox. And uh, it will uh, it will identify exactly what they're uh, what they're looking for. It can be something very routine, like confirm the uh, the provide proof for that medical expense, a hundred dollars that you claimed last year. Or it can be very um, uh, extensive, uh, such as give us your bank statement 
statements for the last three, four years give us, uh, tell like, here's a 15-page questionnaire, and that's normally a sign for us that something is serious you're on, and there, that fell under some money laundering or offshore tax evasion, something really, really bad. So yes, so it starts with a letter of an auditor introducing him or herself, as, um, telling a, a taxpayer that they're being audited, this is your period uh, that we're looking at, and these are the questions we're going to have for you. And while we're on the subject, audits rarely start by a phone call. So, uh, and I know by now, probably at least your audience will know, but just in case, it's very unusual for the CRA auditor to contact you by phone and to start asking you questions. Trying to submit, send people to your door if you don't answer and have you pay with uh, Bitcoin or Apple gift cards. Yeah, these things don't happen. These things don't happen. No, they don't. And then normally my advice is now is the time as early as possible is to get help. Why? Because there are questions, there may be questions in that letter that you don't need to answer. There may be and there may be documents in that letter that they ask for that you don't need to provide. The scope of the audit may be too broad and you don't know it, and your advisor may try to narrow it down. So as soon as you have that audit, it's generally a good idea, especially if you see that you know it, it looks serious. The list of documents they want include your or the list of, of items they want include your firstborn child. Maybe you should pick up the phone and, and get help because chances are you may not need to provide everything they ask for. And that, that can help you in the future. Yeah. I mean, so simple ones like a couple of years ago, CRA was picking on, was it? It was uh, professional fees. Oh, you claim you spent $10,000 on various professionals for your business. Okay, great. Prove it, right? So frankly, for stuff like that, that's pretty that's pretty standard, right? It's just they're asking you to verify an expense or deduction you claimed. I just actually got off the phone with a friend who uh, is having his childcare expenses uh, scrutinized, right? Again, these are all things that, hey, you should have some supporting evidence for this. It's just a deduction. Give us that. But when, you know, what we're talking about, the when we start talking about, as you said, the firstborn, it's show us, send us your bank records and all your invoices for this and, and your entire, and your entire accounting database. Like that's when it starts to be like, whoa, okay, hold on a sec. <laughs> that's, that's not a single issue you're dealing with. This is something bigger. So I, I get what you're saying. So where is that line? Is it, you know, is what I'm saying in terms of the simple request for a piece of information, you know, that's not reason for alarm, but when, when that list gets lengthy, that's where we need to start getting concerned. I guess so. That another way of looking at it is sometimes it's pure economic right? Mm. Unfortunately, tax lawyers are expensive. Uh, tax accountants who handle audits and who bill hourly, they're expensive. So if they're if they looking to provide proof for a $100 expense, you may need not need a you may not need a tax lawyer to help you with that. So you kind of need to assume how much money is it going to cost me if things go bad? And is it worth it for me to uh, get a consultation at least? So sometimes it's pure economics and sometimes you gather um, and people generally have an idea of when things look really bad, even though they think they did nothing wrong, even though, though they didn't make much money, didn't report much money, really they did nothing wrong, but they get a 20 page questionnaire about their offshore holdings or things like that. That's again, and I've seen that happening and uh, it turned out 
to be uh, an identity fraud where my client's identity was stolen. Some ridiculous things were uh, done using her name your, her, um, and her information that eventually made uh, its way to the CRA. And that's why this poor old lady who worked at a store as a salesperson made very uh, modest uh, salary somehow became subject of this uh, really invasive uh, audit. So in those cases, again, maybe it's worth it to get help. And let's be also clear that there are legitimate and legal reasons and not tax avoidance reasons for having offshore assets. We're not going to everything from you have a property in your home country to just having a bank account there for when you visit, right? Like those are offshore assets. So anyway, we'll jump back that into that. That goes without saying. There's nothing yeah. wrong with offshores. Uh, well, people hear offshore and they automatically assume mass tax evasion. And I always I always put a put an end to that quickly. So what are the best practices for surviving an audit? So like some the, the, the audit comes up. You already talked about reaching out and getting help sooner than later, what other pieces of advice would you give? Most of them are obvious ones, but we only think about them after the audit happens. So I'll, I'll state the obvious. Be prepared, all right? In this day and age, there's there's so many, there's so much technology that will help you take a picture of your receipt, documents, scan everything. So really, there, uh, there's software to keep log of your business trips. Uh, there's software for managing your financial information. Uh, there's so many resources. Take advantage of that. And that the more prepared you are, the easier it is for you to survive the audit. My big advice to my clients is to always, always avoid answering questions on the spot. And that would be during the process, during the audit, not when the CRA will not call you and ask, demand that you ask questions. But in the course of an audit, you may get a phone call from your auditor who will be very polite and nice person and who will remember, you know, your kids' names or your dog's names, and they will chit-chat with you. And then they will start asking you questions and you will feel like you knew the answers to the questions. It's, it's nothing, it's not rocket science. You can answer those questions. I would discourage people from doing that and there's and uh, understand there's that there's nothing wrong at, now, at least for now to um, request that the same questions are posed to you in writing in a letter. And you can explain it by saying that I'm afraid that I'm going to miss something. I want to get things right. So let's just do everything in writing. This way we have a record of everything. In terms of, so coming back to what you have to provide, what you don't have to provide. Those are the questions that need to be consulted on with a lawyer. Um, another good tip I always like to provide to people is to understand how much time and expense an audit may take. Uh, mm. If we're talking um, about a business, a small or even mid-sized business, some businesses actually have to budget the time, have to allocate an employee to dealing with an audit request. It's disruptive. It's uh, expensive, and unfortunately, sometimes it needs to be done. Another thing I like to say is that communication is key, and auditors have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we, we get to dispute their decision later on, but it's going to cost you a lot of time and money, and 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 just it's not fun to do. But while they're before they made that decision, um. 
this is your chance to establish a relationship that's productive, that's workable, and that will help the auditor find answers to their questions. So respect the deadlines. Be polite. If you need more time to provide uh, something, uh, ask for an extension of time in advance. But throughout this process, especially if you're not represented by a professional, mind that imbalance in power. The last thing I want to see on the audit reports is the notes from the auditor that my client was abusing, yelling at the auditor, screaming, throwing things, and, and doing things like that. It's just Never get. It's not going to affect the auditor's substantial decision, but I know that I ha- now have a harder bottle to fight, and it's just not worth it. And this is fairly recent. Uh, we see requests for digital data, digital accounting data from clients. So remember, in the old days, if the auditor wants to see something, they would get a box of PDF documents, not necessarily in order printouts or receipts. Um, as, we're en- as we're entering the digital age, or some of us are there already, some of, the, some of uh, us are not there yet, we see the CRA entering that world as well. So we see requests for accounting data And that makes some clients really uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. They think it's too invasive. And I got to say, I agree. Having said so, um, there's been a recent decision from the uh, federal court that said there is nothing wrong with those requests. And whatever format the CRA chooses to request the information in, they're free to do that. And that actually is now will be formalized through the new amendments to those. Which is nuts because at the end of the day, if they go looking for one thing and then they suddenly get your entire database, they can go looking for anything imaginable, like whether it be so if any, so don't get me wrong, if if you did something wrong, you're accountable, right? Like that's it. But they don't get to crawl up every, you know, they don't get to be a big brother on every transaction we ever have, right? Like that's not the way they're supposed to operate. And unfortunately, turning over the accounting files, I mean, theoretically lets them audit every last transaction, every last transaction, which could open a can of worms for all we know. I agree. And that was actually the subject of my last article uh, for the Canadian Tax Foundation. The, this future of audits is digital. And in a way, it's good because, you know, it's going to be so much more efficient and we're going to get our audit results within weeks and, as opposed to years in some cases. But at the same time, it can be efficient expedition, like you said. I already see requests when the CRA audits a sale of a home, but they want bank statements for the last four years. So there, like, there, there always must be someone who comes in and says, why do you need bank statements for the last four years when you audit in the sale of a house? And with the new technology, uh, there's so much data uh, analytics you can do with that, with those uh, records that you must provide, you must share. So yeah, I think it's very, uh, I think the audits of the future will be more more effective, faster, more accurate, but they're going to be very invasive. Yeah. Well, I would say the big thing is think about the entire, I mean, this is artificial intelligence being thrown at it, right? Like the reality is, is that they'll be able to simply get you to link up your QuickBooks or your Zero and hook up to hook up to their AI engine within minutes, basically flag whatever it is they want to flag. So yeah, invasive right down to the last transaction. That is the level of invasion we're talking about. Yep. 
yeah, that's that's in the future for us. And so far, the way the legislation develops and the way we see the CRA, uh, um, the CRA invest their money, and this, the way we see the um, laws develop in other countries in Europe. So uh, that's where we're going. Uh, I don't know uh, whether uh, at at one point I don't know if there is a way to slow this process. Um, at the end of the day, it's meant to catch the bad guys, but at the expense of our privacy and uh, at the expense of the, the CRA always having an opportunity to, to start a fishing expedition for every audit they do, for every audit they do. Tough. So the, uh, now you said there's some draft legislation. Is this, is this basically covering solely the digital audit or is there more coming that that's going to empower them even further? There are new rules that are still in draft format. The rules were announced close to a year ago in 2021 federal budget. And the rules were meant to address one decision from the federal court. The decision was called Cameco. And in that decision, the CRA wanted uh, to force Cameco, which is a, a large company, multinational company, to interview their employers, 25 of their employers, uh, including the employers in Canada and uh, outside of Canada. And Cameco said, Cameco agreed to that process before, and then what the CRA had to do it again, they said no. We're not hiding anything. We're going to answer the questions in writing if you want to, but we are not submitting our employees for an oral interview because we are not comfortable with the process. We are not allowed to record the interviews. Then the results of those interviews were grossly inconsistent with our notes. So if you need the answers, we'll give you the information. We're not hiding anything, but we are not disrupting our business when submitting our, our employees for the interview. So the uh, chemical went to court and won. Court looked at the previous version of the rules, at the ones, well, the, the current version of the rules, and said to the CRA, uh, there is no specific power to compel oral interviews. So the CRA was out of luck in that case, and Cameco got to provide the answers in writing with the, which, which they wanted to do. In response to that case, the CRA said, the CRA, um, the Minister of Finance suggested uh, an amendment to the current rules, and the current rules initially announced in April were broad, and uh, we thought, wow, that's broad. But then in February, just February of 2022, we got a new version, and it's even broader to the point that all of us tax lawyers got on the phone, calling each other, saying to each other, "Did you see this? Did you? Can you believe how broad that, that is?" So, to make long story short, the new rules will allow the CRA to power, uh, the power to compel oral interviews pretty much anyone. So, if they audit Jason, they can force Jason's neighbors to answer questions about Jason, Jason's ex-business partners, former employer, childhood friend, high school mm-hmm. teachers. So anyone can be now forced to answer questions about Jason's tax liability. Very broad. Uh, another thing that's now extended is the circle of people who uh, this area gets to uh, ask documents from. 
or uh, inspect their property. So the CRA now gets to inspect through an audit. So if they're auditing JSON, they get to inspect JSON's documents or documents of any other person if they relate to JSON's tax liability or anyone else's liability. So that's how broadly it's drafted, and we cannot believe it's, it's, it should be tied in a little bit, we think. So literally, if we audit in JSON, we can ask Anna to provide her documents for inspection because they may relate to uh, Bob's tax liability. That's how it's like, it's basically everything under the sun. Like, let's just make it simple. We get to ask anything about anyone is how the well, that's what it sounds like. The question is, where is actually, where's the limit, right? And then like, it's draconian at best. We hope there'd be some changes to the final version of the rules, but for mm. now, it's very broad. The explanatory, explanatory notes to the new rules basically say that we, we've broadened the scope just to provide for the new realities because, in, in, and there's the, there's the so what, neighbors didn't exist before? Like, you know what, you want to you make the argument about digital realm, knock yourself out. You know, there's new things constantly evolving, but like, oh, the new, the new world, like, oh, neighbors didn't exist before, like paperwork didn't exist before. Give me a break. <laughs> well, in their defense, they used to interview neighbors before, hmm. but the neighbors had the right to say, no, not interested. We're not talking to you. Not anymore. I hear now the, the rule is pretty clear. They get to answer all proper questions. Uh, they get to interview um, pretty much anyone about anyone's tax liability. I guess the real question is, what's the penalty? Is this, is this a criminal Is this a criminal charge if they fail to participate? Yes. So, so there are enforcement oh, mechanisms uh, within the act. Uh, if when someone fails to comply, uh, there is a fee uh, and uh, there are even criminal charges if, you really, if you've been really malicious. Uh, there are even criminal uh, implications to that. So that's quite hilarious. In that, a country where we don't send people to jail for not for not paying taxes, we we now will basically consider criminal prosecution if you're not willing to rat out your neighbors. Oh my gosh! Well, like, uh, mind you, we do have. I don't think that it will that criminal provision will be used uh, often. I don't think so. And I'd just, rather just not exist. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's there. So. Yeah. No lawyer will say, oh, forget about it. Don't worry about it. They will say, yeah, you have to comply because there is a risk of all kinds of problems. Lovely. Now, one other thing I think I just want to address quickly when it comes to when it comes to audits. Oftentimes, people think fair is fair. And if I'm clean, I'm clean. Unfortunately, sometimes when you're in the crosshairs of an auditor, they may, to wrap it up, simply say that they will let you off on X, Y, and Z, but they're not going to let you off on A, B, and C, even if A, B, and C are completely valid, which I've had several people go through this and they are shocked and disgusted by it. But like many other things, the cost of fighting it often outweighs the cost of paying it. And they know that. So have you had any, I, I think you've had some experience with that sort of thing? Yes. So I would, like you said, tax trials are expensive and really any appeals are expensive. So uh, there, there may be a point where we sit down and we try to come to an agreement that's kind of neither here nor there and knowing full well that uh, it's going to cost my client way more to fight it all the way to trial. 
but I would only agree to it if if I don't feel uh, confident about our chances at trial. Those are normally instances where I don't have documentary evidence and I only have my client's testimony that they either paid for something or did something or and other than that, I don't have any other evidence. Uh, normally in those cases, we need to go to trial. We need to put the client in front of the judge to testify and then the judge gets to either believe my client or not believe my client. So when there is a risk that the judge may not believe my client, that's when we I may recommend to settle. But if we did some nothing wrong, if the client did nothing wrong, and uh, you know, and we have some evidence to support it, um, we fight till the end. Um, there are ways to encourage settlement on the other side. And this is this can be achieved by making a settlement offer that's fair and well supported. And then if we reach a better result at trial, this area will have to pay a substantial part of my client's legal costs. So, so that's a, a, um, an incentive for them to take our settlement offers seriously when they're reasonably reasonable and well supported. Yeah, it's uh, I've got a couple of clients going through something like that right now. And it's funny because they've I think CRA knows that they're going to lose and the offer has been made more than once. And the oh, let's settle for 10 percent. Let's settle for 7 percent. Like the number keeps on going down because they're like, no, we'll go to court. No, we'll go to court. No, we'll go to court. So it'll be interesting to see how these things resolve themselves. But unfortunately, um, like I said, you know, you may think, well, but I have all the proof and I have evidence uh, they should go away. That's not necessarily how they're going to behave, unfortunately. So it is what it is. It really depends on the person. There are some more, there are, some people are more aggressive, some, and, and especially like I hear that if we're talking, if you're talking about trials, you're talking about uh, the matter is probably within the tax court already. There, yeah, we, we, we I, I generally have a lot of respect for DOG lawyers. I think they're exceptionally well-trained. They're very professional and overall uh, a, a really good group. But within that group, there are more aggressive ones. There are less aggressive ones. So you never know who, who, who you end up with. Well, hopefully someone who's sympathetic. So, yes, thank you very much for your time. Anna, so very much appreciated. Where can people find you? Our office is in Etobicoke, as we've established not far from not far from where I live, yep. We uh, see people in person, uh, but like everyone else in this day and age, uh, most of our, uh, our business is done through Zoom and email and phone calls. We help people across Canada because uh, income tax is, a federal, is under federal jurisdictions. So we help people in BC, in Alberta, uh, in Manitoba, and uh, throughout Ontario, obviously. We, my website is uh, www.advotaxlaw.ca. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason, for having me. And that was this week's episode of uh, Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. Happy to be back. And I hope to keep this a little bit more consistent. Just so you know, next week is the budget episode because this is airing on budget day. So uh, we'll have a lot of fun. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. 
or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you. 